So we're talking about yes, two yes albums because we couldn't choose just one. And Ricker's Maniac Gold Hard Cider from Maine. Uh, and this is a, um, this is in tribute to uh, Chris Brown with Bull Moose because he's got some gluten deals. Yeah, and the thing about you. cider is you don't have to worry about gluten with That's cider. That's true. Um, That's true. And it's also, you know, it's when you're in New England, as he is, the hard ciders are plentiful and you can find lots of local ones. This one is very local. Uh, you just took a sip of it. What do you think? I like it. It's pretty nice. dry, right? It's dry, but I don't mind a dry cider. It's crisp. Um, it's like biting into a Granny Smith. Yeah. Yep. So here's here's a little bit about Ricker Hill, because that's the actual place that brews it. They, uh, they grow apples in Turner, Maine, which I'm not sure what part of Maine that is. Uh, but they've had the farm since 1803. So this is an old, old apple orchard um, that they're growing their apples on, and they use that to make the cider. So they're kind of like, I don't know if you would consider that a craft thing. I mean, maybe, because it's not readily available everywhere. You can pretty much only get it right in that coastal New England area, maybe inland a little bit as well. Um, But they do everything on the farm. They do their cider on the farm. They do their apples on the farm. It's it's a family, uh, family deal. So... The the cider we're drinking is like I said, Maniac Gold, and let's see what let's see what they say about that. So Maniac Gold's made primarily from Golden Delicious apples, which I, I don't really know if I necessarily taste the Golden Delicious. It's more like a Granny Smith to me. Yeah, to but me that it might is. just be because it's like dry and tart, I guess. True. Um, but they do it with Golden Delicious apples mixed with a secret blend of other varieties of Golden apples. That might be what we're tasting. Uh, that yield a balanced fruity expression of Maine. Hmm. Lightly sweet, mildly carbonated with a crisp, clean finish. And it is 5% and gluten-free. I would agree with all of that. It, it's pretty great. Yeah, it um, really is. We brought these back last time I was in New England, which I visited Bull Moose while I was in New England. One yeah. of the really cool establishments. We went to the one in New Hampshire. Um, I don't know. There might be multiple in New Hampshire. But we went, went to the one in Salem, New Hampshire. Um, really, really nice record store. Uh, they kind of bridged the traditional local record store vibe with more modern stuff mm-hmm. like comic books yeah. and books in general and right. CDs and whatnot. Uh, but they're they're good folks. They're yeah. they're a great chain. They're kind of keeping that that independent record store kind of thing alive. Uh, awesome. And Chris, you know, he's one of the the guys that started RSD. Yeah. So got to give him yep. major props for that. Anyhow. Absolutely. And one of his favorite, if not his favorite band, is Yes. He is a Yes fanatic to the point that I know he bought that Chris Squire Fish Out of Water expanded <laughs> box. Yeah. Uh, massive box set uh, like a few months back. Right. Um, so in honor of Chris, we're doing Close to the Edge and Fragile because mm-hmm. honestly, they're, they're two parts of a whole. I mean, honestly, they were both recorded and released within a year, right? Yeah, 71 and yeah. 72. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, touring nonstop, um, recording on mm-hmm. the weeks they were off tour, and then going back on tour again. Yeah. So it's it's a really lively record. And, it is and lively. It sounded. Yeah. So let's talk about the personnel because that's kind of important. Um, it really is. Yes, have changed members about as much as Deep Purple. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, Parallel. They're one of those bands that you know people came and went, 
and people from every pedigree of prog rock came and went through Yes, basically, yeah, at, at any given time. Yep. Uh, but for this album and the next, this is kind of the classic uh, early prog Yes lineup, I would say. I think so. You've so got, you've got John Anderson on vocals, who for some reason's not on vocals for Yes anymore, which is really strange. They toured without him. Yeah. Don't know the whole deal with that, but we're not going to get into that That's part. That's a whole other podcast. So, so John Anderson uh, on vocals, Steve Howe on electric and acoustic and mm-hmm. a little bit of everything, Chris Squire on bass, just massive bass Solid. player, Rick Wakeman on anything <laughs> with keys, and then Bill Bruford on yeah. drums, which yeah. to me kind of makes these two records in a lot of ways. Really caps it off. I mean, you have, I mean, this is a five star band. Yeah, I mean, every musician is top of their game. Right. You list them all, but then when you say Bill Bruford, yeah, and, I and mean, the and the great thing about these two put together is that they're the only two that Bruford's on. <laughs> <laughs> he left the band, as far as I know. I don't think yeah. he was on the earlier one, right? But he left the band after close to the edge yeah because he was so miserable he just could not put up with them anymore and he was fighting with them and no. he just he had to jump ship and he jumped ship to king crimson <laughs> Which, so uh, you might you say know. it was an upgrade in a yeah. way maybe at that time um, pro- maybe yeah i mean they're probably running parallel you in know the music they were both making yeah i would say that like where king crimson was much more avant-garde and Yes was much more pop-oriented. Like, Yes was bridging that prog and pop together. Like, Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. still it's, it's still it's out heavy. there. It's still yeah. out there stuff. But I think that if you want to introduce someone to prog without exploding their head, you don't, right. you don't immediately grab Can. <laughs> you know, you don't, right. you don't even immediately grab Crimson. No. I think these two records they're are very accessible. They're great intros into, even, into prog rock. Even though you have heavy prog, even classical tendencies too. Absolutely. But still they're accessible. Yeah, so so the classical part is a great intro into Fragile, which is their nineteen seventy one yeah. record, because it's their first album with Rick Wakeman. Hmm. Who was yeah. in the Straubs of all bands. Wow, I and forgot about that. It's kind of yeah, odd, right? Because they were a folky rock kind of yeah. thing. It really yep. wasn't this. But um, he replaced Tony Kay, who was their original keyboardist, uh, and they fired him because he didn't want to use more synthesizers, <laughs> which I find <laughs> hilarious because all Wakeman wanted to do In was use synthesizers. Rick Wakeman. Uh, and yeah. the way Fragile works is you have nine total tracks. You get four that are group performances, and then you get five that are solo pieces. Uh, written by each member. Yeah, it's it's real hit and miss on those. Uh, uh, honestly, true. yeah. Uh, yep. Another big thing about this record: first Roger Dean cover, which Roger Dean oh, became really famous yeah. with. Yes, for their yep. their cover art, um, which is it's gorgeous. I mean, they were yeah, they're part of that really like um, almost like psychedelic seventies look where you get like the late sixties into seventies, and you still have mm-hmm. like bright colors and swirliness and whatnot yeah yeah. great cover iconic cover uh i think most people know this is a yes record when you see that cover definitely Um, so looking looking at the tune oh sorry oh i was just gonna say looking at the artwork and stuff that's very um 
characteristic for that time period too, with the Grateful Dead doing Definitely. Mouse Ke- Stanley Mouse and Kelly doing their covers and the Fillmore posters and all that. Yeah. Even Quicksilver, a lot of those type bands. I mean, it was heavy on. Yeah, and King I, Crimson, King Crimson too. Crimson King. I think that um, Roger Dean did some more art for other bands as well. But yeah, the one he he's really linked to is yes, that was because he did their art throughout a lot of their career. Yeah, I mean even into Very like much so uh, into late seventies, early eighties, he was still doing yeah. a lot of their art. Um, Coincidence so, that they're both gatefolds. Both both the records <laughs> close to the edge and gatefold, meaning. You know what you do with the gate. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> I hadn't got to that part of the podcast yet. I got you. Yeah, that because that's really important. Um, a great intro into this album is marijuana. Um, if you have some, it's always <laughs> it's always great to, you know, hit that before you drop the needle. Right. Because it's really going to enhance your listening yeah. experience. Yep. And I, I'm not here to tell everyone to do marijuana. That's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about music and beer. We've got our own vices right here. But the thing about a good prog rock album is a little weed doesn't hurt. <laughs> doesn't hurt. <laughs> as bad as that might be to say right. to some people. Yeah. Not necessarily us. But, you know, it's, a little bit of you weed know. won't hurt you on that one. Right. Uh, lots of teenage boys have been smoking weed and listening to Yes for a lot of years. It, I don't think it's stopped yet. Many a records that I've looked at uh, in my... I don't know, 30 some odd years of doing this. You open up the gatefold uh-huh. to check the record or whatever, check the spine. Seeds fall out, <laughs> stems fall out, you know, and they're 25 years old. So, it's almost like they make gatefolds just for that. I would say they did, honestly. <laughs> so, a couple of big songs on this record. Uh, one of the biggest songs of their careers on this record, Roundabout. Yep. Um, the one thing to notice is the album version is a little different than the single version that's on the radio. It's a little bit longer. They they allow it to breathe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, super iconic tune, though. Like everybody, I'm not going to say everybody, but most people know that song by that intro backwards piano swelling oh, to yeah. the guitar. Like as yeah. soon as that first guitar harmonic hits, you know, you know what's you going on. You know what on. it is. And really, you know... I can't think of any other bands that sounded like that of that time period that was that specific, specific like, or that particular brand right. of what yeah. they were doing. Yeah. True. I mean, it's very, uh, um, you know, they were an iconic band, and you can tell by when you know that, when you can name that tune in however many seconds right. or notes, boom, like listening to Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. It's like, you know that. So. Right. But not everybody can, like, you know, hear the first few notes of King Crimson's Red and know that no, it's King no. Crimson Red. You know what no. I'm saying? So that, that's why I feel like Yes was always a lot more accessible. Like, you could... Yeah. You can sit down with a Yes record and, and listen to it with other people without feeling ashamed. <laughs> Maybe ashamed's not the right word. Well... But, uh, like, without feeling alienated like yeah. like you're the only one digging it unless you drop the needle on leave it or something well yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> that's way in the future hey. though they hadn't even thought about <laughs> right. that yet they're so, still better than genesis 80s right i don't know oh man that's tough no you know what i'd have to put genesis 80s over over yes i'm not well, a, i'm yes not a tornado really fan i'm not in the 80s uh well you remember they grabbed that guitarist um 
His name just left. Trevin Ray- Trevor Trevor, Trevor Rabin. Rabin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he kind of changed their oh, sound man. to be much more yeah. 80s influenced. But yeah. that's that's for yeah. another podcast. This yeah. is the good yes that we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so so Fragile is, to tell you how massive an al- of an album Fragile is, it was certified two times platinum by Recording Industry. It sold over 2 million copies in the U.S., which is huge. That's pretty That's good. a big record. Yeah. Um, and also, you know back to Wakeman joining the band with this record, which I think plays into a lot of why this record is so good. You get so much of Wakeman's input. Right. He was actually offered a spot with David Bowie's touring band huh. the same day that he was asked wow. to join Yes. Now, That's interesting. How different do you think Bowie's career would have been if he had had Wakeman back there smashing the mini Moog and like yeah. <laughs> plugging things in left and right? So what Bowie album was that? Well, if we're talking about 71, that would have been um, Hunky Dory, maybe? Or Man Who Sold the World? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's that early Bowie. It's pre-Ziggy. Yeah. Wow. So, because Ziggy's 72, I believe. 72 or 3. Yeah. Sounds about right. So, yeah. That Hmm. that would have been super, super, super interesting. Wow. Yeah. um, I think he made the right choice. Yeah, I think so, too. Rolling Stone reported the album cost $30,000 to produce. Really? That cheap. It doesn't sound like a $30,000 record. It sounds like a $300,000 yeah. to a $1 million well, record. Well, 30000 in 71 was a chunk yeah, of change. that's true. But still, you would think like, I mean, this record sounds great. It does. Like sonically, everything's oh, got its man. own spot. and I know it's been remastered and expanded and all that stuff, but... When I listen to my album copy, uh, that's what I want. I feel the same way. You and, know? and mine's, you know, this is one of those records that even if the vinyl's roughed up a little bit, it still sounds pretty damn good yeah. when you play it. Um, and that might just be because there's so much going on that you don't even have time to listen for <laughs> any kind of surface noise. <laughs> right. Because you've got a million things happening. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, as far as the name of the record, according to Michael Tate, who was the band's lighting director, the album's title came from their manager who... While on the phone to some press guy, uh, was looking at some photos from a Crystal Palace gig, saw the monitors at the front of the stage, and they had Fragile stamped on the back. <laughs> and that's it. Bruford, though, said that he suggested it because he thought the brand was breakable at the time. Okay. Uh, and then another weird thing is Wakeman remembered children being brought, in, being brought into the studio to watch them play this record, which is odd. I feel like something was being summoned or yeah. like some kind of incantation was happening. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it was Let's, just weird. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so another funny thing about the songs is the reason they did uh, individual ideas was to save time and also money because they wanted more money to purchase keyboard equipment for Wakeman. <laughs> He, at this point, he needed half the stage. He hadn't to... done King Arthur on ice yet, right. so he was still still amassing all that equipment. Um, so let's talk about South Side of the Sky. Yeah, that is that's really something. Um, to me, it's that's the classic yes sound, as well as like a template for seventies prog. Right, like there's yeah. so yeah. many. That is your blueprint. That, that's it. Yeah. Um, I think you can even hear the influence of that song on like prog Genesis of that time. I feel like Tony Banks was even yeah. listening to how that song sounded and then using that 
that kind of thing for their work. Of course, he'd probably punch me in the face for saying that, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it feels yeah. like they were kind of on that path first and then other prog bands were like, okay, yeah. well, we see how to rough those edges around and, right. and yeah. make it more accessible. Yeah, true. Um, I really like the heavy riffs in it too. It's a pretty, pretty heavy song. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, they, you hear a lot of Chris Squire in it as well, which you do the whole record. True. Yeah. In the forefront. He's I one mean, of the most recognizable bass sounds. Yeah. Cause yep. it's super aggressive and he's picking instead of plucking. He didn't, he didn't play his fingers. He played the no, pick. Yeah. So it's super like buzzsaw. Like yeah. When he hits those bass notes, it's right there. Then you have the angelic vocals throughout. You know, it just works. Though. <laughs> it does work perfectly. And and I know you're not a huge fan of like the John and Vangelis stuff. Uh, I mean, know. it's okay, but like, there's something about this formula, this mix, where you get the heaviness of yeah. yes with Anderson's vocals kind of off in there. It's he's almost like singing folk, you know, like. True. Yeah. He's never really on that same heavy page. His feet are on. above the ground a <laughs> little just bit, floating and a he's floating. <laughs> but I mean, yes, is probably the grandfather's of Prague, the father of Prague. You yeah. Think? Well, I mean, I mean, I think they're the they're definitely the father of whatever their type of Prague is, where you mix classical with the experimentation and rock and roll. Like, I yeah. think they are the ones that six did it the most successful. Cause yeah. a lot of guys were not successful with it. There's no. a lot of bad prog. There's yeah. And there's a lot of people that call their band prog and it's not, it's metal. It's yeah. Right. Whatever. Yeah. This know. is, this is definitely like, this is prog. They were the forerunners yeah. of prog. Definitely. On the forefront of it for sure. Yeah. So, Long Distance Runaround, you a big fan of that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. That To me, that song... Um, That's a I, hit. That's a it very was. recognizable tune. And it, it runs 3.30 for like the running time, so that got it on the radio. FM hit. Mm-hmm. I, and it's a strange FM hit because the verse is very like staggered with how the drums, the vocals... And then the guitar and the bass mm-hmm. run together. Like it's, they're all kind of playing different songs, is what it sounds like. Yeah. But it, it still mixes, but it's like different songs being played at the same time. It's not your traditional FM 70s tune. No. You get that it's kind of. It's not Summer uh, Breeze. No. <laughs> Cascade, <laughs> waterfall uh, sound. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you know what I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. In the middle and, of it, it's like, whoa, what is that? Oh, yeah. When the you know what I'm talking hits, about? Yeah. yeah. And then that leads into that crazy, the fish, which is awesome. Yeah, like that's one of the better solo tracks because that was a that was a how solo mm-hmm. track, and that's one of the better ones. And it mixes well with uh, long distance run around. Yeah. Um, and then is mood for a day on there as well. Yeah, I think so. Mood for a day, which is it's, also more. Yeah. It, it's a little, you know, wanky because he's wanking yeah, off there a little bit to show you how good he is guitar. It's, it's a prog it's, album. But it's still I mean, good. There's, there's got to be some wank. There's got <laughs> It's a prog <laughs> album. There's got to be some wank. And then there's the, um, what I think is probably the highlight of the record, which is Heart of the Sunrise. That, that's got to be, that's got to be it. Like yeah. that, that's what you're getting out of this record. Roundabout's fun. Like, this mm-hmm. is run around yeah. fun. Yep. Heart of the Sunrise is like 
okay, they're not playing around. They mean business. No. Yeah, serious. Because, for one, it's a long track. It's not a short track Mm -mm. at all. Um, And I think Wakeman had a lot to do with the classical aspects of it because there's a lot of piano on that track. Mm -hmm. There's lots of breaks that have piano parts. Um, I really like, after the intro, when the bass and drums have that segment where they get to just kind of jam. Yeah. And it's that slow funk jam yeah yep you know what i'm talking about with like it's just a real subtle drum with like that funky bass Mm -hmm. line which you don't get in yes very often not like that sort of thing yeah true Um, but it works so well because there's just like a droning synth behind them while they're doing this whole thing it's incredible Yeah. yeah um and i think some of the best vocals on the record are also on that song um like some uh, like lyrically, I think he did well with this one because some sometimes his lyrics can be a little like flower child and you know yeah and the floating thing you talk hippy dippy right hippy-dippy. this one I think's good like for instance he's got a, a stanza that says love comes to you and then after dream on to the heart of the sunrise sharp distance how can the wind with its arms around me which we're in hippy dippy land yeah. But sharp distance, how can the wind with so many around me, I feel lost in the city. Now, that's a good, and the way it's sung on the song. Yeah. You know, when he says the sharp distance part, it's the whole band crescendos with mm-hmm. him. It's almost like he's conducting them. And that's a part of the song that's that's very strong. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's why I think it's some of their absolute best work. I would have to agree. Yeah. Um and then as well from the time changes. Oh my God. So it goes between six, eight and three quarter time. After one sequence, it goes into four, four that lasts a minute and a half. And then it goes back into different cycles of six, eight, four. Like, you know, they had to just sit down and write all that stuff out. There's no way. Yeah. They could ever. Uh, yeah. Charts. I'd <laughs> yeah, love to I see mean, the charts. My God. Now love let's to see them live. I, I have that would have been a Have treat. you ever seen them live? Even in the later no, years? No. Me neither. And I didn't, it's not that I really didn't want to. Yeah. But at that point, you know, I, uh, in the 80s, eh, you know. It wasn't, yeah. that would have been, this time period would have been stellar. Well, yeah. And when you're going to see Jesus and Mary Chain, it's not like you can just kick over to see Yes playing <laughs> right. the hits. You know, it's, True. it's I get it. It's yeah. a weird time. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about a little bit of what the critics had to say about that record, because that's always fun. It is. Um, Ed Keller for Circus Magazine summarized it with, Fragile is unquestionably their most cohesive and meddlesome undertaking, which I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but okay. Uh, Squire responded to the criticism regarding the album's solo tracks. He said, in a way, you've got to appreciate the circumstances. We had to get another album out quickly from purely financial point of view. We have a lot of mouths to feed. Rick had to buy a vast amount of new equipment when he joined, <laughs> and it all costs much more money than people seem to imagine. I like how everything goes back to, like, Rick needed his toys. Yeah. Like, everything goes back to, we got this goddamn guy in here. We got to feed the machine. <laughs> He's got all these buttons and <laughs> things that go boom and we don't know what they do but they sound fun he's plugging in shit everywhere all right so let's talk about close to the edge because 
they toured a little bit on this record, and then I think they started uh, riding close to the edge while they were on tour for yeah. Fragile. Because Fragile was a hit, so they had to follow it up. Now, Close to the Edge, in comparison to Fragile, is way more, um, way more heady. It's a very, um, I don't know what the right term is, but it's very, like, sophisticated. There's a lot yeah, going on there. that's, yeah. It's it's not a, it is an easy listen, but it's it not really is. it's not a quick listen, and it's not an excessive like it's it. There's three tracks. Yeah, I mean it's there's a lot of music, and it's not um, not as accessible as fragile. I, I would say so. Yeah, you know, although for lack of, it's not that it's not. A better album than Fragile. No, no. It's really right there with it, if not even better. I know you prefer it most of the time to Fragile. It's almost like they took, they fine-tuned what they did with Fragile Mm -hmm. and on tour and went deeper into... It's like they got more serious with it, too. It's it's a more serious record. There's some jam on here. Oh, man. A whole lot of jam. And even though it's three tracks, each track has like 17 sections. (laughs) Right, <laughs> they're not that many, but it has four or five There's sections a few, too. Yeah, it's very. Um, it reminds me a lot of Rush's "Farewell to Kings" when you have like Cygnus XII, mm-hmm. and then like there's a million different. Uh, it's just what they did. It's what the guys did at the time. Wakeman had his toys. Wakeman had his toys. <laughs> um, so there's three tracks. There's "Close to the Edge" and "You and I" and "Siberian Katru." Um, so when this album was over, Bill Bruford left because he said, I'm out. I'm going to King Crimson. We're going to do Starless and Bible Black and Red and have a great career there. Um, also, some of the best prog albums of the 70s. Yeah. Fantastic. True. Not as accessible as Yes, True, but fantastic but records. But great prog albums. Um, so Close to the Edge is the band's greatest commercial success at the time, reaching number three on Billboard 200 in the States and number four on UK Albums Chart. Hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting that it ranked higher in the States than the UK. True. I find that very interesting. Do you think that's because Fragile was probably still in everybody's mindset? I mean, honestly, when did this come out? Like eight months after Fragile (laughs) or something? It's right after. That was back in the day where it's like, okay, album tour, album tour. Yeah. And they just keep touring and keep taking weeks off to do the album. Right. Um. The only real single was a two-part edit of End You and I, um, because that's a long song. Yeah. So they had to edit pieces of it. Uh, but it did reach number 42 on the Billboard Hot 100. Wow. Like, it's hard to imagine that in this day and age. Like, can you imagine? Well, you, know, you had, if you think about it, back in the day, you didn't hear what was on the album. It wasn't like, right. here's a new Spotify single from Yes, or... <laughs> Here's, you know, let me Spotify go on this sessions da- featuring yes. Right. Hey, let me go to this download site and get the album before it comes out. Everybody loved Fragile and mm-hmm. Roundabout. Ooh, new Yes album. I saw them at The Garden. They were awesome. So yeah. let's get it, you know. That is that is very true. Maybe um, there's some of that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's just hard to think of a band like Yes being on top 100 at any time. Well, and it's weird that, like, so the artwork is totally different than Fragile, but yet when you open up the gatefold... You get, you get the Dean influence You get the Dean. The Dean was on the outside of right. Fragile, 
and on the inside of close to the edge and on the inside of fragile is nothing basically so, right. artwork wise well uh, and this he spent more time on the artwork to this one than fragile he that the uh, the iconic yes logo first appears on close to the edge the uh, the bubbly yes logo yeah, yeah. they had a kind of logo kind of similar to that but the one that they used throughout the rest of their career is the one that started on close to the edge oh yeah the old True. one's a little more swirly yep. and cursive yeah. like um but this is the one that you always see from here on out. Um, and they sold a billion shirts. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Um, Close to the Edge is certified platinum by the RIA in 1998 for shipments of over 1 million copies. So it was pretty pretty successful as well. Um, so on the complexity of the record, several occasions arrangements had to be assembled were so complex or forgotten by the time of next day's session. <laughs> This led to the start of having each rehearsal put on tape for reference. They started taping their rehearsals because they could not remember what the hell they were doing. Um, Which also uh, kind of gets into Bruford's deal with the album, why he's getting so pissed off about it because it was getting too... And he did come up with the title for Close to the Edge. (laughs) That was his. Um, So... They wanted to record more of a live record, which is is what they did with this. And an interesting tidbit about the recording process was um, they accidentally threw away some tape for, I believe, let me see which which song it was, because um, they had to do a hard cut to get it in there. Um, let's see. Da-da-da. Might be Sabian Katru. I can't remember anyhow. They accidentally threw away the tape to the solo. It was a uh, it was a Wakeman. Wakeman was playing some church organs, and they'd recorded it at the church. Yeah, and it was beautiful. And they accidentally threw it away because they had oh. so much tape going of everything. Right. And they were like, "Oh God, we got to have this in the track." So they went through the bins, found the tape, but like wow. it was kind of damaged in spots, I guess, or something. So yeah. they had to do a hard cut from the <laughs> church organs to the rest of the song, and you can hear it. I'm trying to think of which track it is. It's one of the three tracks. Yeah. But uh, you can, like, after reading that, I went back and listened. You can really hear the hard cut uh, from from where they go from the organs to the rest of the song. Um, but, yeah, they were all pissed off at each other during this record. They just were not having a good time. Yeah. Which tends to happen when you get too in your uh, own headspace. And you're you're coming off the road and you're, you're road weary and you've been riding and right. now we're having to record everything that we're playing because we can't remember. So, <laughs> yeah, there's um, <laughs> there's these there's stories in here about how uh, Chris Squire was like so obsessed with how the recording sounded. Uh, Bruford said he fell asleep on a sofa in the studio room while Squire was pouring over some knobs on the desk trying to fix <laughs> equalization. <laughs> And he, he woke back up and found Squire in the same place, still considering the relative position of two knobs. Uh, so, like, it was just constant, too much in your own yeah. head kind of thing. Yep. Uh, a fun fact was they actually wanted to sound more like New Orchestra with this record. Hmm. It's um, interesting. I, you know, Birds of Fire came out in 72. Yeah. So I can see where where that is. I mean, Ma, Ma Vishnu was a huge influence on all these projects. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody was playing stuff like Ma Vishnu was no. playing. 
nope. they continue to influence people today, like even the Mars Volta mm-hmm. and bands like that want to get that Mob Ishnu sound. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, Close to the Edge is a little more accessible than Birds of Fire, because um, I don't think it would have yeah. sold as many copies as no. <laughs> as it did if it was no. if it was too much like Birds of Fire. But um, so out of these three tracks to to kind of choose from. <laughs> Which ones do you, or which one, I guess, do you kind of kind of stick with? Like, what's one that, I mean, and you and I is definitely, yeah, right? Yeah, and I mean, close to the edge, too. But the thing is, with this album, I listen to it almost as one song. Yeah. That, of sorts. That's exactly right. You know, Fragile, you can split up. There's singles on Fragile. Yeah. But this, to me, is more one track. Yeah, and and it's beautiful. It's a pretty beautiful record. It is. Um, the way they got things to flow together, to me, is very special. Mm-hmm. Um, they a, actually apparently they actually toured with Mahavishnu. That's what it says in the notes. Oh wow! Um, that would have been heavy. So so close to the edge. The song came about from their tour of Mahavishnu. They got the idea of starting the song with some like hard changes and whatnot, yeah. kind of like Ma Vishnu used to do. Yeah, I don't know if my head could have handled seeing Yes and Ma yeah, Vishnu together. Right. Can you imagine? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my God. Yeah. Um, the chorus lyric on Close to the Edge, where they say Close to the Edge down by the river, was inspired by Hal while he lived at Battersea by the river hmm. Thames. So to me, like, I'm kind of like you. It's hard to pick tracks. Yeah. But I think... There's only three. (laughs) There's only three. But I think And You and I is the one that always kind of sticks out to me. Even the single edit's okay, but Mm -hmm. the long, the full long piece, it's, you know, you get the John Anderson folkiness about it, and you get Howe's really nice guitar playing in it. It's a great piece of music. It's it's a great piece. Uh, The only real rock song is Siberian Kotru. Yeah. And it's a pretty rocking piece. Like, that's that's definitely a place for Howe to shine. Yeah. Which, you know... He's one of those guitar players that doesn't get talked about nearly enough for how no. good he is. True, yeah. Um, and a very yep. specific style, steeped in jazz, almost steeped in like Django Reinhardt kind of jazz. Very, you know, very finger style. Very. Mm-hmm. He, I don't think he uses a pick. I think he yeah. just uses like finger picks or, and you can hear that in like the clap or in Mood yeah. for a Day and something yeah. like that. One cool thing about Sabian Katru is... During the ending guitar solo, they actually in the studio took microphones and swung them around their heads to create a Doppler effect on the recording. <laughs> kind of like a Leslie speaker that spins in the right. cabinet. They yeah. just did it manually by oh, swinging wow. mics. Like there was two mics being swung yeah. separately to get that effect. Hey. I can't really hear it, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read that and then I went back and listened. I was like, I can't really hear it. I don't. I don't get it. Once again, they may have been... Studio tricks. They may have been too far in, in their own heads yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I was going to say there's a... Uh, there was I think there was a review that was pretty good uh, where they were talking about it, but I might be... I might be mistaken. I thought there was a review that talked about them, like, wanking off a little bit too much on this record. Here again. You got to have some <laughs> wank in Prague. You got to. <laughs> you got to but you know this is a pretty indulgent record but it's really good yeah it, it doesn't feel i i wouldn't say it feels overindulgent necessarily no i think it's 
close to the edge. <laughs> it's close to the edge. <laughs> That's it. We're going to end it on that. <laughs> nice one.